Back in 1977, at a middle school in Irving, Texas, Bowie Junior High School, there was a little 12-year-old boy that entered his first year of sixth grade. And as most 12-year-old sixth grade boys that enter middle school, he walked in with his eyes wide open. He's looking at all the older kids, all the kids that look like they've hit puberty and they're shaving. And he's just like, I don't belong here because elementary was a much safer place to be. And this little boy that walked in, walked in nervous, walked in scared, and really walked in with no idea what really life is all about. And this little 12-year-old boy walked into class and the class was called Guided Studies, and it was taught by a lady, a teacher by the name of Kay Branch. And there was something within that class that struck this little boy's mind and his heart. And all of a sudden, he realized there is more to life than just going to class. There is just girls. <laughs> there are friends. But there's just the potential of who you can become in life. Now, that little boy was me. And that teacher made a difference in my life. I, I think about her, and she's a difference maker. Somehow, Miss Branch taught the whole class, but she was able to pick me out and encourage me in a way. She was able to open my eyes in such a way that what she taught me in that one semester of that guided studies class was more than a classroom curriculum. It made such a difference in my life. It catapulted me to being the person that I think I am today. Now, after I finished middle school and I went to high school, I would still see her around sometimes and say, hey, Miss Branch, and she would always say hi. I finished high school, went to college, finished college, went back home. While I was going to seminary, I began substitute teaching at that same middle school. And I learned Miss Branch was still there, but her encouragement and her difference-making wasn't contained to a curriculum. It wasn't contained to a classroom. It was a part of who she was. Because her goal in life was to be such an impact in people's lives, whether they're in her class or not in her class, that she still makes a difference in my life today. Now, as I described Kay Branch to you, my teacher, when I was in the sixth grade, I imagine there's thoughts of people that come to your mind. Because we've all had difference makers, haven't we? Maybe they were a teacher in middle school. Maybe they were a coach in high school. Maybe they were a friend that you met somewhere along the way that helped kind of put you in the right path. Maybe they were a boss that took you under, took you under their wing. Maybe they were a mentor. Maybe they were a parent. But we've all had those people in our lives that we look back and think, and they were a difference maker. So here's what I want you to do just for a second to kind of warm the room up a little bit. I want you to think of at least one difference maker in your life and turn to the person next to you and just say their name. You don't have to tell them the story. Just say their name. Who has been a difference maker in your life? Share that with somebody around you. If you're at home and you're watching online, you could even just type it on there and just share with the group, the family that you're with or online, just who is your difference maker? Now, that was kind of this low murmur. Maybe you're not used to talking in church. You were supposed to smile with great pride and say, here's my difference maker. Let me do this. Let me give you the definition of when I think of a difference maker, here's the definition of it. A difference maker is a dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with intentional actions. 
Now, let me say that again. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. In fact, you want to memorize this because we're going to be using that definition over the next several weeks. But a, a difference maker is a dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with intentional actions. And so we all have difference makers in our lives, right? But no matter who your difference maker is, we could share all those names. There'd be different places of life, different times of life. But here's three characteristics that I think every difference maker has. And these three characteristics are, they are aware of what's around them. I think about that time that I walked into that class, and I know Mrs. Branch was looking at all the students, but somehow there was something in her that became aware of Keith Smith, this little 12-year-old boy sitting in the class. And so that's the first characteristic of a difference maker. The second um, characteristic of a difference maker is not only they are aware, they adjust their life to that person. You can be aware of people all that you want to, but if you never make a step towards them or adjust your own life to reach out to them, you'll never be a difference maker. And then here's the third characteristic. You're aware, you adjust, and then you act. Uh, Sometimes you may think, I'm just going to adjust, but life gets busy or things get in the way and you never take the actions to that person. But a real difference maker includes all three of those characteristics in their life. They're aware, they adjust, and they act. And you're going, Keith, uh, we came to church for a sermon, okay? This sounds like more a motivational speech. We came here for a sermon. What does a difference maker have to do anything about living the life as a follower of Jesus? And here's what it is. I think the greatest difference maker that has ever and will ever walk this earth is Jesus Christ himself. If you think about that definition for a second, he had an intentionality about him that he was going to use more than his love for people. He put actions to his love, and he was a difference maker no matter who he came in contact with. It could have been somebody they came in contact with and had a deliberate conversation with. It could have been someone that he came in and healed them and deliberately made a difference maker that way. There's stories throughout Scripture that there's not even names that go with Jesus just because of his interaction with them or them coming close to him. He was a difference maker. And the reason I want to bring up, and we're starting this brand new series called Difference Maker, and we're going to do it for four weeks, is because not only was Jesus a difference maker, as followers of him, he expects us to become difference makers also. Think about it. It was Jesus who was such a difference maker in the Apostle Paul who then put his life, and he was a difference maker to the young Timothy who became a pastor and minister at one point. And as we read their letters in the New Testament today, it makes a difference in our lives. And so part of our following Jesus is more than just, Jesus, can you take care of me? Can you answer his prayer? Can you make my, my life good? It is us becoming a replica of Jesus that we become difference makers also. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at different people throughout the New Testament that either Jesus, his stories, or stories of others. And they're going to show us and model for us how we are called to be difference makers too. Now, there's going to be something really interesting as we work through these next few weeks. Every story, whether it's about Jesus or somebody else, at being that difference maker, every story and every encounter that we see will have those three characteristics. They'll be aware they'll adjust, and they act. And so can I go ahead and get to the punchline of the whole thing right now? The whole reason we're doing this one is because if those characteristics were in Jesus, if those characteristics were in the people that Jesus made made a difference to, it would make sense that God wants us through his word to make sure those three characteristics are part of our lives. And so our goal 
by the time we finish this series, is to recognize that God's called us to be different difference makers and that we incorporate those three characteristics within our lives. Does that make sense? Okay, on a cold day, this means yes. This means no. This means turn up the heat. Okay, that's the symbols we'll use today. So as we do it today, let's go ahead and look at the first story, the story of Jesus. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, we're going to see Jesus interact with some people, and we're going to see the difference he makes in someone's life. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. It says, soon afterwards, <coughs> Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. Let me kind of put in context what's going on in the life of Jesus right now. He has reached that point in his life, in his ministry, that you might consider him famous. If you were going to use the vernacular that we often use today, he was definitely an influencer. He had started his ministry of healing. He had started his ministry of teaching. And wherever he went in these moments, people followed him. They followed him because they wanted to be healed. They followed him because they wanted his knowledge. They followed him because he was a good show. Regardless of the motivation, wherever Jesus went, he had a following with him. And on this particular day, the Bible says that he went to the village of Nain. Now, let me tell you what we know about the village of Nain. It was small. That's about all we know. We know it was around the Capernaum area, but it was just a small, small village. In fact, as I read scripture this week, I often thought maybe just being the small village that it is, it's kind of like the Idaho Springs of Denver. That's what Nain was to Capernaum back in those days. Just a small village. Now, let me describe to you what villages looked like in those days. Many times in this particular one, there would have been a wall built around this whole village, and there had been one gate to get in and get out. And that was simply put there for the safety of the people. At night, they would close the gate to keep people from going in and going out. That shouldn't have been there. It's kind of like how we lock our doors today. And so on this particular day, Jesus went to Nain, but because he was famous, because he was an influencer, as he traveled to this small town, there was a horde of people that followed him. And the Bible says there in the next verse, in verse 12, a funeral procession was coming, coming out as he approached the village gate. So I want you to visually see what's going on. Here's Jesus walking into this big gate with this wall around this community. He's walking in, but he's not walking alone. He's got his disciples with him. We don't know how many people with him, but you can imagine 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 people were following him, and they're all going into the small town. Something kind of unusual for this town to experience that type of people, that type of movement. But just as he was walking into this gate, there was a funeral procession coming out of it. Now, when you and I think of funeral processions, we think of maybe the line of 10 or 15 cars with the lights on going down the road and everybody pulls over. But the funeral processions back in those days would have resembled more, and I'm not sure this is the right word to use, but more of a parade. Not a cheerful parade, but a somber parade. Because anytime somebody died, especially of the Jewish faith, it was required not just by the customs, but also by scripture, that there would be people that would come and mourn with them. It would have probably been the custom that all the men would have walked in front of the, of the people carrying the casket. All the women would have walked in back, and they would have hired professional mourners and band players to accompany them. So you can see why I call it a parade. And these professional mourners would have been good at crying. They would have been well-rehearsed and wailing. And it wasn't meant to be something inauthentic, but it was meant to be a way for the community to come around the people and show their sorrow to what was going on. 
So do you see the picture going on? There is almost like this, this collision that's about to take place at the gate of this small town called Nain of the mourners going out carrying this body and Jesus and his followers and all the other crowd coming in. And look what else it says next. And it says, as the funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate, the young man who had died was a widow's only son and a large crowd from the village was with her. So in the middle of this funeral, that would have been sad on any account, there was great just desperation taking place because there was a widow, which meant her husband had already died and her only son had just died. And back in those days, culturally speaking, a woman was dependent on the male people in her family. And so because her husband had died, there was no way she had any income coming from her spouse. And so she was living the rest of her life waiting for her son to get old enough because he would be required to support financially, emotionally, physically. He was going to be taking care of his mother for the rest of his life. But her only son had died. So you've got these professional mourners. But can you imagine the heart of the mother? Any mother that has to bury her own son has great grief. It's just not supposed to come in that order. But on this particular day, as they were carrying this dead body out, this dead son, a mother had to be thinking, my grief is so deep because I've lost my son and my hope is none because I have no way to take care of myself in the days to come. And so they're coming in, Jesus and his followers, and the funeral procession is going out. And then it says in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Can you pause there for just a second to get a picture of Jesus? The funeral procession is going out. He's going into the city. And all of a sudden he sees her. And the Bible says his heart overflowed with compassion. Can I be honest with you? At this point in the passage, I'm convicted. I'm convicted because I know I see people in need every single day. Maybe not a mother carrying her only son out to bury him, but I see people in my life every single day, and I don't think I respond with compassion. But you know what my problem is? It's not my compassion. It's my sight. Because you see, Jesus had to see the woman before he could ever have compassion for her. And I'll be honest with you, my conviction and my, my confession right now, Sometimes, too many times, I'm so busy in my own little life that I don't see the people around me. I'm so busy looking at the latest sports scores or the unmeaningful anything that comes on my phone that I don't see the needs of the people in the line in front of me when I'm at the grocery store. I'm so consumed with what I'm going to do tomorrow that I can't see what's in front of me right now. So my problem when I compare myself to Jesus and see what a difference maker he is, and I realize this, that too many times I'm not a difference maker, not because of lack of compassion in my heart, I'm not a difference maker because I don't see the very things in front of me. Now, maybe I do see them. I see people as a means to help me, or I see people more as a hindrance to me sometimes, but I don't see them as the very creation that God made. And I've got to believe on this day that Jesus saw the woman. He saw more than tears from a grieving mom. He saw this creation that his father had made in heaven. And we talk about living in relationship. And he knew at that moment that she was at a loss of relationship. He knew at this moment that she probably felt more lonely than she ever had in her life. And the Bible says he looked at her with compassion. 
He is about to become a difference maker. But here's where it starts with. What's the first word we gave you? Aware. If he had never become aware of her, he could have never taken the next step to be the difference maker. He had his eyes looking out to see what God was doing in his life that day so he could match his heart to those eyes. And then he says this next. Kind of an interesting comment that Jesus makes to a grieving woman. Remember, she is a widow who has just lost her son. Jesus sees her. The scripture says he has compassion in his soul. In verse 13, he looks across and says, don't cry. Now, I would never want to judge Jesus. But this is one of those moments where I'm going, Jesus, couldn't it have been something better to say? I mean, this wasn't the most, compassion may be in your heart, but your words don't sound very compassionate. In fact, she has people around her that are paid to cry. That's what they're supposed to be. Everyone expects the mother of the son who they're bearing to be crying. And Jesus looks and goes, don't cry. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not judging Jesus at this moment, okay? Because Jesus sees the moment and he sees what's in the next moment, in the next moment. And he knows what's about to take place is we're going to read in just a second that he's actually going to heal the woman's son. He's going to raise him back to life. And so he's seeing out there. So he's really just predicting what's about to happen. And he says, don't cry. But here's why I bring this up right now. Sometimes I think when we are aware of the people around us that we want to do something, we see what's going on, we have compassion in our heart, but we are scared we're going to say or do the wrong thing, so we do nothing. If Jesus can take the first step of being aware and adjust his life to it and say don't cry, that just lets me know there's room for all of us to always maybe not do or say the right thing at the right time. You with me? Here's what happened to me Saturday, men's prayer breakfast, 7.30 in the morning. We're supposed to meet up here for breakfast. I don't think about it being snow on the ground. It's going to take me longer. So I leave my house about 10 minutes before the time the event starts. And I start driving. I'm realizing I'm not going to make it. I'm going to be late. And so I'm driving, trying to be careful. I'm looking at my watch. I'm trying to be careful. I'm coming down Highland Highland Ranch Parkway going east. And there at 7.20 in the morning is an individual in a wheelchair pushing the wheelchair, just rolling the wheelchair by themselves. And I pass because I'm driving, and I look in my rearview mirror, and you know what's going on in my heart. I saw it, okay? I'm aware, but I'm having to make the decision, do I adjust my life to it? I'm the pastor. I'm late for the men's prayer breakfast. It's negative 99 degrees outside, What do I do? I pull up the light, and I'm just going, God, I don't know what to do. But you know what stopped me? Not because I was late. I could use, I I could get past that. But I thought if I pull over, I've got to go past lanes. I've got to pull over, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, do I pick up his wheelchair and put it in the back of my Jeep and put him in him, or maybe he can't move? I'm going, I don't know what to do. What if it's, you know, someone that's not stable in mind, and do I want that or that person in mind? All these things going through my mind. I was scared I would do the wrong thing. Or even more, I was scared I didn't have enough to help this person. And so guess what? I didn't do anything. And this guy's wheeling because of my own fear and my own security instead of just going, what if I would have just pulled over and what if I would have rolled down the window and said, do you need some help? And he goes, no thanks, I'm just going to the corner. Someone's picking me up, but thank you for asking. Wouldn't that have made a difference in his life? 
Like he didn't need me to pull over, but just the fact that somebody offered something that had to have warmed his heart up at that moment. Or what if I would have pulled over and I said, do you need some help? And he said, you know what, could you pull over and just take me a block down the road and I can do some of this. Maybe just like I can't heal you like Jesus, so it made me not want to do anything because I didn't know what I could do before that. Anybody been there before? Maybe not someone going down the road in the ice, but you don't do anything because you don't think you have enough to offer. Let's not not be a difference maker in somebody's life because of our own fear and insecurity. Jesus has never called us to raise the dead to life like he's about to do. But he has called us to be a word and a look and a touch in someone's life when we can. So Jesus looks over and says, stop crying. And then in verse 14, he says, then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. Can I just pause here and let you see the whole picture here? This was a no-no in the life of Jesus. Because if you go all the way back to the book of Numbers, it gives us strict instructions that when a Jewish person, when someone was died, they were considered unclean. And they were not allowed to touch the coffin or that individual. That's one of the reasons why the pallbearers were carrying this dead body outside the town because they had to get the body outside the town to bury it because if it came in contact with anybody, that individual would be considered unclean, spiritually unclean. They would have had to gone outside the city for seven days and not come back in until they were purified by the priest. And so Jesus didn't just become aware he didn't just adjust his life and say, hey, woman, don't cry. He acted on it. And he walked over and he touched the body. I'm sure at that moment, his disciples were going, no, Jesus, you can't do that. Every person around is like, oh, don't touch Jesus because he touched the body if we touch them. And there's just like this ripple effect of all this consequences that could take place because of his actions. Yet Jesus knew this there was going to be a ripple effect because of his actions. The ripple effect wasn't became making everybody unclean. The ripple effect would come because he was going to raise this boy to life and his name would become great. Jesus' name would become great. So he walked over and he touched the coffin and touched it and the bear stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Don't you wish you could be in the crowd at this moment? They're all going, no, you touched it. And he says, get up. And they may be thinking, does he not know who's here and what's going on? And then the dead boy sat up and he began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can you just write in your notes? Can you write in your mind? Can you write in your hearts? And Jesus acted. Can you imagine the mother as Jesus says, get up, and he handed him back to his mother. Can you imagine the mother's grief that went to joy? Can you imagine what was taking place with everybody that was looking? But again, sometimes we read a story like this, we're going, well, I can never be a difference maker like Jesus. Because I don't have the power to make a dead person rise. We often think this, if we can't go big like Jesus, we just don't go at all. But here's what I know. Jesus has never called us to go big. As I think back to seventh grade, that's my teacher, Mrs. Branch, didn't step in the room and go, Keith, I'm going big with you. She just started with acknowledging me. She just started by being aware of me. She just started by encouraging me. Little things that maybe she had no idea the impact it would make years down my road, my life, even to this day. She just did those little things that she was able to at that moment. 
And so don't let the fear of I can't do it all like Jesus keep us from doing anything. I think back about 29 years ago, my father passed away from cancer. It was a really quick diagnosis. Six weeks later, he was, he was gone. And I'll never forget, Denise and I, we were at the hospital. We knew he was about to die. The family had gathered there. You've probably been there, many of you, with a loved one or a friend. And just the grief, the heaviness, all that was going on. We'd never gone through anything like this. I didn't know what we were supposed to do next. I was 27 years old. I was just becoming a pastor. I didn't know was I supposed to put a pastor hat on. But yet the son couldn't find the pastor because the son's heart was grieving so much. And I'll never forget being at that hospital. And my best friend Todd Gaston was there. His wife Pam was there. And everybody started to leave the hospital. They were together at my house, my mom's house, my dad's house. And my best friend looked at me and said, do you want to go get something to eat? We left the hospital. We drove about a mile and a half to the Olive Garden. I can take you to this day, the, the booth that we sat in. And you know what we did? We ate breadsticks, had salad, ate some lasagna. I think we probably laughed and told some stories about my dad. We might have shed a few tears just because of all the grief. But here's what I'm telling you. They invited us just to go eat with them. And I think back, what if my best friend Todd would have felt like, that's not enough. My friend's dad just died just to ask him to go eat at Olive Garden. They need more than that right now. We didn't need more than that. Just having that time right there with friends minister to us in such a way that at that moment, my friend Todd Gaston and his wife Pam became difference makers in their lives. Here's why I share that story with you. Because again, we look at what Jesus did when he heals people. We look at the difference that Jesus made in people's lives and we can be so overwhelmed and so intimidated rather than being becoming aware and adjusting and acting, we become aware, we think we should adjust, and we take a step back because we're intimidated on what or how we should do something. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to that have gone through grieving their own, and they're like, you know, looking back, because I asked somebody recently, I said, what would have been better for you? And this individual said, if people would have just came up to me and said, I love you. But yet sometimes when it comes to death, we're so scared we're going to say the wrong thing, we don't say anything. But it's not just in death. It is so many other areas of our life. I'm going back to the man in the wheelchair going down the road. I couldn't fix his life. I couldn't make him walk. But maybe just a pulling over on the side of the road and said, can I help you might have been everything he needed at that moment. Now, before you paint me for this horrible pastor that didn't help this gentleman, as I'm sitting at the light, I'm looking, and a policeman pulls over and helps him. I'm going, thank you, Jesus. But then I think this, a public servant that's paid to do it did it, and not a follower of Jesus that's called to do it. And so it's just, it's just, it's just becoming aware, it's adjusting, and it's acting. Let me wrap up this story. 
So Jesus walks over, this boy raises up, everybody's going, oh my goodness, and look what it says in verse 16. And then it says, great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And look what it says next, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Do you know why it's so important for us to become a difference maker? Not so somebody will call us out and say, they're my difference maker. Not so somebody will come and give you a pen going, difference maker, you need to wear this around. That's all good affirmation. But do you know why we're called by God to be a difference maker? So we can shine light and glory and attention to his son, Jesus. Because it is his son, Jesus, that lives in us. It is his son, Jesus, that resurrected our dead soul. Don't you think that dead boy rose up from the grave? And don't you think he told anybody and everybody he could what happened, what Jesus did from that day? Because he was dead, now he's alive. Listen to me. As followers of Jesus, we were dead, but now we're alive. And if that doesn't motivate us to become difference makers in the lives of the people around us, then nothing will motivate us. And so church, let's not be the sleepy followers of Jesus. Let's be the live followers of Jesus. Let's be the thankful followers of Jesus. Let's be the followers of Jesus that never forget we were once dead, but now we're alive. And may the same thing be said about us and our testimony. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. And all that took place because of three characteristics of a difference maker. Aware, adjust, and act. Now, I'm going to wrap up with this. I've been preaching long enough. And I'm saying this, you're nodding in them. Well, I think they're getting it. I think they're getting it. But as soon as you go out of here, you're going to think, what's for lunch? And you're going to forget those three words. Okay? That's why we're taking four weeks. And you're going to hear these three words over and over and over. And we're doing it in such a way that it's not just about stirring our mind. It's changing what we do. I know for many of us, just like me driving down the road, I need to readjust my approach to life. I need to readjust, and I need my eyes to be open so I can become aware. I, I need my eyes to be open and the compassion to come up so I can adjust whatever I'm doing. And then more than adjust, I need to act on what God wants me to do. So, at the end of four weeks, every one of us, if nothing else, should know those three words. What's the first word? What's the second word? What's the third word? What's the first word? What's the second word? What's the third word? What's the second word? Oh, you're, you're listening. There you go. I like this church. Yeah, those three words so we can all become difference makers. Can you imagine as a church, as a body of Christ at South Sub Church, if we all committed to being difference makers, the rest of the world, all of Littleton, our communities that we lived in, they would look and see Jesus. And wouldn't that be a good thing? I look forward to one day that we're going to have to stop somebody at that door and go, there's no more room in here. People going, oh, I got to come here because I know somebody goes here and they're such a difference maker. I got to know more about that Jesus. They won't be coming here because we put a big marquee sign up. They will be coming here because our life resembles Jesus. That's what will attract people to South Sub Church. Now, I have a gift for you. We're going to wrap up. When you walked in, you should have received a magnet. Everybody get it? 
Okay, here's why you got that magnet. Okay, remember, this is retraining ourselves. I need you to put this on your refrigerator someplace that you can see every day. It's got the three words, and every time you pass by that, you remind yourself you need to be, we're called to be difference makers. So put it someplace. Like, if, my, if your refrigerator's not the best place to put it, put you some tape on it and put it on your mirror. I know in my house, we visit that refrigerator many, many times a day, so that's the best place for us. So, magnet, okay? And we're going to have some more things throughout the rest of the series that's going to help us move us. This is more than move our mind. This is to move our hands and our hearts and our feet and our lives to be difference makers. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. We're going to sing one last song. And you know what? I'm going to try something. Y'all may kill me for this, okay? Because there's not as many of us today. As we sing this last song, before we sing it, I'm going to ask you all, just stand up where you are. I'm going to go ahead and move you little by little, okay? Aware, adjust, act. Stand up where you are. Now, I'm going to cause mass confusion here, okay? But my watch says we have two minutes and 55 seconds, so I can have some mass confusion for two minutes and 55 seconds, okay? I'm going to ask you all just to come up front. I want us to stand just up in this area. Back in your young days, you'd call it the mosh pit. Trust me, we're not moshing. We're not moving people around, okay? Just come up here. Just come up close. Because remember we said over communion, God calls us together. And they're going to lead us in this song. And this song is a celebration of our salvation. And if we can't get excited enough to sing it, then we'll never be excited enough to share it. So just come up here like, why do we have to come up close to sing? Sometimes it's good just to be together. Come move up. Y'all move up a little bit more here, okay? We've got, feel that body heat. Isn't this good? Okay, I'm telling you, this is all a good thing. And we're going to sing this out. Now, when you're around people, and I can't sing out loud because they're going to hear me. No, the closer we are together, they really can't hear you, okay? And so, Lord Jesus, we offer this song to you as our testimony. And God, if it is not our testimony now, may it be our testimony in the days and weeks to come. May, oh God, may we be difference makers so we can point people to you. Make us aware. Help us to adjust and then help us to act. And Jesus, that you may be made famous. In your name we pray, amen. But he brought me Oh, his love for me Oh, his love for me Who the sun sets free Oh, is free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I Shine. 
struggling today, remember this, you're a child of God and we all have a place in his house. Let's sing this last part together. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. Chosen, not forsaken. I am who you. 